Hello, thanks for tuning in and watching the sermon this week. It's one I'm particularly excited about. It finishes what we started talking about uh, two weeks ago in Joshua. We don't want anybody to feel obligated to give. We want you to watch the sermon no matter what. But if you'd like to give, we'd be very appreciative. And you can do so by going to our website and pressing on the uh, donate button. Enjoy the message. Really? You know what Miss Gus said she was going to do to Toto? She says she now, was going to... Now, Dorothy, dear, stop imagining things. You always get yourself into a fret over nothing. Now, you just help us out today and find yourself a place where you won't get into any trouble. Some place where there isn't any trouble. Do you suppose there is such a place, Toto? There must be. It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's far, far away. Behind the moon. Beyond the rain. we all uh, dream of somewhere over the rainbow, right? And then we wonder how to get there. Uh, Israel certainly, certainly did, and God encouraged them to do so. Ironically, the land flowing with milk and honey was a place that they had already been, or at least their ancestors had already been. But to the Israelites in Egypt, the promised land was somewhere over the rainbow. Two weeks ago, we looked at Joshua chapter 6 and talked about how to conquer the promised land. This week, I want to look at Joshua 24 and how to abide in the promised land. So pray with me. Lord God, I pray that we would preach your word and that your word would find its place in us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Joshua 23, verse 1. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, It is the Lord your God who has fought for you. You shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore... Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Now, that's at least the Ten Commandments summed up in the commandment to love the Lord your God with uh, all your soul, strength, and, and might. Uh, Jesus adds mind when he's talking to Greeks later. Well, 23.5, Joshua says, you will possess the land just as God has promised. Then in 23.11, Joshua says this, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Verse 16, If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Joshua says then, in Joshua 23, God has given you the land. Period. Done deal. Therefore, love the Lord your God with all that you've got, that's what theologians call the, uh, an unconditional covenant, by the way, or, or the new covenant. It's the covenant of grace, which is entirely dependent upon God's decision. But then, Joshua says, if you don't love God with all you've got, you will perish from the land. That means lose the land. That's what theologians call a conditional covenant or the Old Covenant. It's the covenant of law which is dependent upon our decisions. The Old Covenant of law inscribed on the stone tablets of Moses was kept inside the Ark of the Covenant, which was covered by the mercy seat, which was a testament to the covenant of grace. 
So listen closely. The covenant of law was literally contained within the covenant of grace, which means our decisions are contained within God's decision, and God's decision is eternal. God's decision is his judgment, and his judgment is his word, and his word is his will. Joshua 23 then is kind of weird, but Joshua 24 gets weirder still. This is verse one. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. That clearly implies that they're standing before the Ark of the Covenant, which was the throne of God and the judgment seat of God. In verses two through 13, Joshua recites all that God has done for Israel since the time that he called Abraham to, to renounce the idols of his father and journey to the promised land. In verse 14, Joshua says this, now therefore, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's evil, ra'ah, displeasing, uh, unpleasant in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served on the region uh, beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I think it's safe to say that is, that is the most cross-stitched Bible verse in all of the United States of America. So if you go down to the local Christian bookstore, you'll find shelves and shelves and shelves of this stuff. This is the, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord door knocker. This is the, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord doormat. This is called the, as for me and my house, garden rock. That's what it's called. It's, it's like you write your commitment on this stone and then you place this stone like under a tree in, in the garden. Um, this is the inspirational poster, choose this day whom you will serve, and then the path diverges at a tree in the wood. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the personalized wall decal. So what you do is you get your name printed under, under, the, under, the, under the verse commemorating your commitment that you and your house have chosen to serve the Lord. And maybe this is what we need to stand before God enthroned on the Ark of the Covenant and make a choice. A choice about all of our choices in the future. That's called a commitment. And then we could remember our commitment by writing it down in a book or perhaps inscribing it like on, a, on, on stone uh, that we could place under a tree in, in the garden. It would be like a witness to hold us accountable. A covenant, if you will, uh, that would help us keep uh, our commitment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Dadgummit. In fact, let's just do that right now. Joshua said to serve the Lord is to keep the law of Moses summed up in the commandment of, of love. And if you're a Christian, that means that this commitment is really, it's a recommitment. In fact, commentators often refer to this section of Scripture as the renewal of the covenant at, at Shechem. So we maybe should re renew the covenant, which is first, I would think, to recognize how we've broken covenant. So if you've committed adultery, would you please stand up? And now let me remind you, Jesus said, if you have looked on a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart, which would be like the worst place to commit it, okay? So in a second, if you've committed adultery or if you've, if you've murdered. But remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also said, everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to the judgment, just as a murderer is liable to the judgment. So if you've committed adultery, if you've murdered, if you've lied, in the same place Jesus said this, don't take an oath at all. As if taking an oath, which is making a commitment or forming a covenant is simply a way to commemorate a lie. 
So if you've taken an oath, I mean, maybe we should take an oath never to take any oaths, right? Whatever the case, Jesus summed up the law, just as Joshua and Moses did, saying you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, which means loving anything but God with even some of your heart, some of your soul, and some of your strength is breaking covenant and guaranteed exile from the promised land. That's sin. So if you've sinned, I'm asking you to stand up. So go ahead, do that. If you, if you can't stand up, you can just raise your hand. All right? Okay, now look around. This is you and your house. Stay standing, because it's a question for you. Is it not the height of ignorance and arrogance to now stand before God and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord? We have chosen, we have made a commitment, we have made a covenant to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. I mean, isn't that basically a guaranteed lie? Just look around, haven't done it so far. Isn't that basically a guaranteed lie? For which we are now tempted to actually commemorate with cross-stitched pillows from Mardell's bookstore. Okay, you can be seated. You know, to be devoted is to say, here I am. That's what we talked about in Joshua 6. But to commit is to say, this is what I promise to be. And not only is it a lie about the future, I think it's a confession of guilt right now. If you have to commit to love, isn't that a confession that you don't love love? And therefore you're taking vows to force yourself into loving love or at least acting like, like you love love? You know, it might surprise you to learn that there are no marriage vows prescribed for people recorded anywhere in Scripture. I know that because I've looked for them over and over again doing wedding ceremonies. So the strength of your marriage is not in your ability to make promises and then keep them, but it's in someone else's ability. In Ezekiel, God vows himself to Jerusalem but it's not like he didn't love her, and now he was vowing to love her. Through the prophets, God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, an eternal love. That's an eternal decision that does not change. So the covenant does not create the decision. The covenant is an eternal decision revealed in space and time. But now this is my point. If you take a vow to serve the Lord, doesn't it reveal that you find serving the Lord to be unpleasant? You know, I've never had to take a vow to eat chocolate chip mint ice cream. <laughs> I, I haven't. And if I came to you and I said, it, I have bound myself. I have made a commitment. I have chosen. I have decided. I have covenanted to eat chocolate chip mint ice cream. You might think to yourself. Yeah, you would think to yourself, that's weird. And Peter must really hate chocolate chip mint ice cream. Something's wrong with him. If you must take a vow to serve the Lord, then clearly you find serving the Lord to be unpleasant and something is seriously wrong with you. And me. And all humanity. Verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil, ra'ah, also translated displeasing or unpleasant, if it's unpleasant in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, if you find it unpleasant to serve the Lord, then choose. So, 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 so get this, they're free to choose, they're commanded to choose, but they're not free to choose the good. For God is the good, and all their choices are evil. Joshua says, if you don't enjoy serving the Lord, choose whom you will serve. The gods, uh, the idols on, on this side of the Jordan or the idols on that side of the Jordan, but choosing to serve the Lord is no longer an option. But choose. You're going to have to serve somebody, so choose. This word choose shows up a lot in the Old Testament. But as far as I can tell, this is the only place it shows up as a commandment of any significance given by God to people. There's one other place, Deuteronomy 30:19, that sometimes gets translated, choose life. But the Hebrew is literally, you, singular, have chosen life. And then when you follow the threads, you learn that it's the Word of God that's chosen life, and this Word is in your heart and on your tongue. In Romans 10, Paul reveals it's the Word of faith, and that faith in us is somehow Christ in us. Well, anyway, throughout the Old Testament, God does all sorts of choosing. So the Word shows up a lot in the Old Testament, but God does the choosing. Only here, through Joshua, does He command Israel to choose and all their choices are evil. Now you may say, hey, wait a minute there, buster. Isn't obeying the law choosing to serve the Lord? Well, we assume it is, but God never says that it is. He never says, choose not to eat from the tree of knowledge. What he says is, you will not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. And then something utterly bizarre happens. Eve does eat from the tree in the middle of the garden. It's utterly bizarre because up until that point in Scripture, God speaks his word and his word just happens. Reality is literally the manifestation of God's word. Well, God never says, choose to obey, just you will obey. You know, it's the way the law is stated throughout, throughout Scripture. You will have no other gods before me. You will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not lie. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. You will. You know, I can take that knowledge of good as a law, and if I do, it will kill me and exile me from the land. Or I can receive that knowledge as a promise of grace, and maybe it will give me life. Well, God never says, choose to love the Lord your God. God says, you will love the Lord your God. You will. That's his word, and his word is his judgment. So whose judgment is stronger, his or mine? You will love, says God. So if I won't love, says me, Is it still me that's talking? I mean, who defines me, God or me? See, it's almost as if choosing to disobey God is choosing to not be me, myself. It's choosing to not be 
at home in myself. It's like choosing to be exiled from myself, my true self. And isn't that ironic? Because you see, I think we're all afraid to obey for fear that if we did obey, we would, like, not be ourselves. But we can only truly be ourselves when we freely choose to obey. And yet, if you're not pleased to obey, you can't simply choose to obey. It's like we need a new chooser. I think the way the Bible says that is you need a new heart. So to sum up, we can all choose to not be ourselves, but we cannot choose to be our true selves until someone gives us a new chooser. In other words, you can create, you can create a false self, but you are not the creator of your true self. You are not your own creator. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes, unpleasant in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, says Joshua. Sounds kind of arrogant, don't you think? Who does this Joshua think he is? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples to whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. Now, it's fascinating because I don't think you'll find that on a cross-stitch pillow down at Mardell's bookstore. <laughs> a zillion Joshua 24, 15s, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But no Joshua 24, 19, you are not able to serve the Lord. Maybe that should be on the doormat or the door knocker. You are not able to serve the Lord. And if you want to enter this house, you have to confess. You are not able to serve the Lord. Verse 19, but Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Now, that's true. If sin is a lack of love or a lack of faith in love, God won't forgive it. He won't allow you to refuse to love love forever without end, which means he won't allow you to remain in hell forever without end. Forgive is also translated allow or bear. God doesn't forgive our sins. He forgives us of our sins. He forgives us our sins by destroying our sins. He will not bear your sins. And yet Paul writes this, love bears all things, which clearly implies that your sin is not a thing, but a lie about a thing. And that thing is you, the true you. So get this, reality is the manifestation of God's Word. That's what we say, right? Reality is the manifestation of God's Word, and sin is rejecting God's Word, which is rejecting reality, which is rejecting your true self, which is like exiling yourself from the promised land out into nowhere and nothingness. It's almost as if sin were crucifying the Word of God that upholds all creation. Sin is our choice, and God's Word is His choice. And which do you suppose is stronger? 
He's a jealous God, says Joshua. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we're witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve. And his voice, we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem, rules. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it there uh, under the terebinth, the tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. <laughs> against us. Wow. I mean, do you see what, what that means? All these cross-stitched as for me and my house plaques and as for me and my house door knockers and, and doormats and, and posters and as for me and my house, as for me and my house garden stone, they're all a witness against us. I mean, you should take them back to Mardell's and turn them in and say, I want my money back or, or I'm trading them in for the you cannot serve the Lord door knocker. Verse 27, and Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. For it has heard, it's heard all the words of the Lord that he spoke to us. Therefore, it shall be a witness against you, lest you deal or that you deal falsely with your God. So Joshua made a covenant by taking their words and turning them into laws. <laughs> Sounds a lot like religion, doesn't it? He made a covenant by taking their words and turning them into law. He literally took and as for me and my house garden stone and set it up under a tree that grew just outside the sanctuary where the ark of the covenant was housed and it was a witness against them. And of course we know Israel was faithless. They were false and were driven once again from the land. And once again, God sent a Joshua to lead them back into the land. Did you know that this cross is also called a tree? And it was set up just outside the sanctuary, in the temple, in the city of Jerusalem. It is a witness against us that we have dealt falsely with our God. We crucified him. And now let me remind you, in case you've forgotten, in Hebrew, the name Jesus is pronounced Yahshua. It's Joshua. We chose, this is what we chose, we chose to take Joshua's life on the tree outside the sanctuary. And this is what Joshua chose. Joshua chose to give his life on that same tree just outside the sanctuary. We chose to reject love, and so the cross is forever a testimony against us, but he chose to remain love, and so the cross is forever a testimony for us. We chose sin. That's our judgment. And he chose grace, for he is and always was grace. He is God's judgment. And so he cried, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In other words, they are unable to serve you. Forgive them. That's all of them. And then he lifted his head and surrendered his spirit that spirit that descends on the church and rises in you whenever you cry, Abba, Father, and begin to take pleasure in serving the Lord. You see, Jesus fulfills the demands of the old covenant in his own flesh, and Jesus establishes the new and eternal covenant in you as if you were the temple, as if you were the house of the Lord containing uh, the ark, that is the will and testament of God. Joshua says, Israel, you are not able to serve the Lord, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Who does Joshua think he is? Well, I don't know who the historical Joshua thought he was, but I know who Joshua Jesus is and thinks he is. He's the will and testament of God. And we are his body, his house. So the question is not, can I, can I choose to serve the Lord? Because you can't. The question is, am I a member of Joshua's house? And here's the rub. I can't simply choose to be Joshua's house. I must first be chosen by Joshua. In Joshua's day, that meant one of three things. Number one, I would have to be born into Joshua's house or maybe adopted into Joshua's house. But you see, a child doesn't choose the father. The father chooses the, the, the child and then becomes his house, or I should say his home. The father is at home with his child, and the child is at home with his, with his father's. The father's home is his, is his child. They're at home together. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. And then he said, he commanded, pray our Father. And Jesus is the Father's choice. And Scripture says that we've been chosen in Him for good works which God prepared before Him, that we should walk in them. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. That's the Spirit of Joshua, Jesus, at home in the sanctuary of your heart. So to become Joshua's house, Joshua would have to choose to become your father, or Joshua would have to choose to make you his bride. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. And he took the cup, saying, this is the covenant in my blood. Joshua is God's covenant vow of body broken and blood shed. The 12 men in that room, the city that they sat in, is revealed to be his bride, the new Jerusalem, his harlot bride, redeemed with his blood. So to become Joshua's house is to become his child, his bride, or <laughs> his house. You yourselves, like living stones, writes Peter, are being built up as a spiritual house. In the Revelation, John sees the Lord's house, which is a temple, which is a city, which is the children of God and bride of Christ, and it's coming down right now. Paul writes this, we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have already a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. See, that's our home. And it's Christ's home. And we have it now. And I was still awake, writes Julian of Norwich in the 14th century. And then our Lord opened my spiritual eyes and showed me my soul in the middle of my heart. I saw my soul as large as if it were a kingdom. And from the properties that I saw in it, it seemed to me to be a glorious city. In the center of that city sits our Lord Jesus, true God and true man, glorious, highest Lord. He sits in the soul, in the very center, in peace and rest, and he rules and protects heaven and earth and all that is. In all eternity, Jesus will never leave the position which he takes in our soul, for in us is his most familiar home and his favorite dwelling. In her vision, Julian... First time I read it, this confused me. She kept talking about how homely Jesus was, and I had to look it up at what it meant in the 14th, and it means at home, how at home she was with her and how at home she was with him. He was entirely familiar. Once I had an absolutely profound encounter with Jesus, and I remember being in awe of two things at once. He was so entirely different, and yet he was so entirely familiar to me. He spoke my language. He used my vocabulary. He was so entirely familiar. In fact, he even said this to me. Susan said, Peter, you shouldn't say this to people who don't understand it, but you can understand it. He said this to me. He said, Peter, don't be a dork. <laughs> That's my language. I get that. And then he said, stop doubting my love for you. <laughs> it was the best thing he possibly could have said to me. Jesus, the Word of God, and so I don't know if he'd say that to you, because maybe that means something else to you, but Jesus, the Word of God and the will of God, I'm saying he's at home in you. The question is, are you at home in you? Which is being at home with him. You see, there's a garden in you, 
and that garden is the promised land. So the question is not, how can I get more knowledge of good and evil so I can choose to serve the Lord so God will grant me entrance to the promised land? The question is, am I at home in Joshua's house? For if I am, I will serve the Lord. Last weekend at the ASA conference, I told a, a, a story that I also told at the Forgotten Gospel Conference that I've told to some of you probably several times, but I think it pretty much says exactly what I want to say. Twenty-two years ago, my daughter Elizabeth was having a terrible, no good, very bad day. I mean, she was just mean to, to everyone, and she definitely would not obey. And all the lectures and spankings and threats, they were not thinking, making things better. They were only making things worse. And so by the end of the day, I just said to everybody, okay, everybody get in the van. We're going out to dinner. We're going, we're going to a restaurant. On the way to the restaurant, Elizabeth was just like looking for trouble. I mean, she was picking fights with everybody in the van. So when we finally got to the restaurant and I parked the car, I said, okay, everybody, everybody go inside the restaurant except you, Elizabeth. You come up here and you sit down right here in the front seat with me. Um, you're staying here with me. So they went inside. I'm sitting in the front. I'm looking at Elizabeth. She's looking up at me. And I said to her, Elizabeth, what's gotten into you? And she looked up at me with those big eyes, and she said, Well, I know, but I'm not telling you. I didn't know what to do at that point. There was no discipline that would work. There had been no reasoning that had penetrated her defenses. She was like a little walled city, her defiance, like a safeguard against me and my love. Well, I know, but I'm not telling you. So not knowing quite what to do, I just made her come sit on my lap, and I just hugged her. At first, I could tell that my hugs burned. Normally, she was most at home on my lap. I just got a note from her yesterday. It's the sweetest note I think I've ever read, but normally she was most at home on my lap, but now my lap burned. It burned her ego, and yet I hugged her. I just hugged her for a long time. St. Paul wrote, it's his kindness that leads to repentance. I just held her for a long time, and finally she cracked. In theological lingo, she confessed. <laughs> she said, Daddy? I said, yeah. She said, do you, do you remember who, when you came to my kindergarten class the other day? And I said, Yes, I, I do, Elizabeth. She said, do you, do, you, do you remember my friend Kelly? And I said, yeah, I remember Kelly, because she had just like latched on to me while I was there. And then she said, well, well Kelly, after you left, Kelly said to me, Kelly said that, that you said, Kelly said that you, you Kelly said that you said that, that, that now you loved her and you didn't love me anymore. And then she just burst into this fountain of tears, just sobbing and sobbing, a river of tears as she sat on my lap. And then I said, Elizabeth, does Kelly have a daddy? And she said, yeah, she has a daddy. He, he just moved away from Kelly and her, her, her mommy. And so I held her little face, and I said, Elizabeth, listen to me. I will always love you. That will not change. Please, do not doubt my love for you. Because when you do, it hurts me. And when you do doubt my love for you, because you will doubt my love for you, would you please come to me and tell me so you can sit on my lap once again and I can tell you once again, I love you. I hope you know you have a daddy. And he will not leave you nor forsake you.
He always wants you to come to Him and remember His body broken, His blood shed for the love of you, an eternal covenant of love that will not and cannot change. What's gotten into you, I asked, and the answer was this, a lie from hell that creates hell, that drives a person from the garden that is their own soul. You see, that day Elizabeth was literally beside herself, longing for my hugs and yet resenting all my hugs, longing for home and yet hating her home, longing for love, and yet my love burned her, burned her, for she thought that my love might be a lie. The enemy whispers this in your ear. The Father does not love you. That's where we preach the gospel of relentless love, because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and His mercies never come to an end. But we have believed a lie, and we have even perpetuated the lie that the mercies do come to an end and that the love can cease. Well, I just held Elizabeth for a long time, and I reassured her of my love until she felt at home on my lap. And once she was at home on my lap, one of us, I can't remember who, said, hey, let's go eat. We can't let Chuck E. Cheese have all the fun. And then we went in, and we ate. We partied. For the rest of the night, I didn't have to tell her to be good. She just was good. It was her pleasure. She was home. It's not always easy to be at home with the Lord. Often it burns. At first, often it burns. But, but with the faith you have, just sit on your Father's lap. Set aside time just to be at home with Jesus in the garden that is your soul. Be at home with Him, for He is always at home in you. All evil stems from this, wrote Blaise Pascal. Men do not know how to handle solitude. You have to be, uh, feel at home with someone to sit with someone in solitude. So sometimes I'll discipline myself just to sit with Jesus. Often I picture myself sitting next to him on a beach, a particular beach that I know, just me and Jesus and I try not to try. For all my trying is trying to get what I already have, and I think not to think. For most of my thinking is how I protect myself from him, or try to impress him, or try to seize control of him, and I already have him. Just sitting there is a confession. So sometimes I may say something like this, Jesus, oh, I just feel so sad. and. Well, you know, I really want to get drunk. But I never, ever, ever promise him that I'll never get drunk. I don't promise a thing, for he has promised everything. And above all, I do not make any covenants. I rest in the eternal covenant. That beach is my home, and it's in the garden of my soul. If you're unwilling to sit in silence with Jesus, you're not at home in his house. If you're unwilling to stop and sit on your Abba's lap and hear his word of love, you will be unable to love, and you will find yourself picking fights with everybody in the van. If you don't receive his approval, you will be a slave to everyone else's approval, desperate for their approval, and yet resenting their approval when you get it. If you don't believe his love, you will be constantly crucifying love, trying to possess love. You'll compete for love, which is the exact opposite of love. If you don't receive his life, you will constantly attempt to take his life and so suck the life out of everyone around you. If you don't accept his acceptance, you cannot have faith, for that, my friends, is faith. If you won't trust that you are Joshua's house, you cannot serve the Lord. 
but you will serve something. You will serve the idols on this side of the Jordan, or you will serve the idols on that side of the Jordan. The idols may look very secular, or they may look very, very, very religious, but they're all evil. Sometimes people say to me, Peter, are you saying I can't choose? No. I'm saying that you must choose. Joshua even commands you to choose. There's no way that you can get through this life without choosing. You must choose. It's just that if nothing in you enjoys the Lord, you cannot serve the Lord, which means you cannot choose the good, for the good is the Lord. But go ahead and choose. Go ahead and serve your idols until one day you find yourself at the base of a tree just outside the sanctuary, and you finally see that all this time you served your idols, Joshua has been serving you. All this time you chose the bad, God in Christ Jesus has been choosing you. All this time you were faithless, he remained faithful, and now he suffers in order to give his faithfulness to you. You see, our life in this world is like a journey that takes us back to the place we started. But when we arrive, everything is new because our hearts are new. Because we've known the evil and have been loved by the good and so fallen in love with the good and so desire to serve the good, He's our Lord. So serving the Lord isn't something you can do to gain the promised land. Serving the Lord is the promised land. It's loving love. It's home. At staff meeting this week, Kathleen, where's Kathleen? Oh, there she is. Kathleen said, hey, Peter, this reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. And it does. Oh, will you help me? Can you help me? You don't need to be helped any longer. You've always had the power to go back to Kansas. I have. Then why didn't you tell her before? Because she wouldn't have believed me. She had to learn it for herself. What have you learned, Dorothy? Well, I think that it, that it wasn't enough just to want to see Uncle Henry and Auntie Em. And it's that if I ever go looking for my heart's desire again, I won't look any further than my own backyard. Because if it isn't there, I never really lost it to begin with. Is that right? That's all it is. But that's so easy. I should have thought of it for you. I should have felt it in my heart. No, she had to find it out for herself. Now those magic slippers will take you home in two seconds. Oh, total two? Total two. Oh, now? Whenever you wish. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's, there's no, no place like home. There's no place like home. But just the same, all I kept saying to everybody was, I want to go home. And they sent me home. <laughs> Doesn't anybody believe me? Of course we believe you, though. Oh, but anyway, Toto, we're home. Home. And this is my room. And you're all here. And I'm not going to leave here ever, ever again. Because I love you all. And, oh, Annie M. There's no place like home. Jesus is the end, and he's the beginning, 
and he's the meaning of your story. It's all about learning to love love, falling in love with love, and he is love in flesh. And on that night in Jerusalem, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you, sweetheart. And in the same manner, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. We are not here to renew the covenant. That's the very definition of faithlessness. We are here to remember the covenant, for it is eternal. In Scripture, the rainbow is the first sign of the covenant. This is somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> and in a minute, that somewhere will be in you. Because Christ has always been in you. In fact, he is the word that the Father spoke into the dust that created you. He's been in you, waiting for you to be at home with him. Now, Kathleen told me that I need to do this, okay? I think it's kind of silly, but she told me. It's her fault. I want you to stand up. Just stand up, wherever you are. Stand up. And when I tell you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to click your heels together three times, <laughs> and then you're going to say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Ready? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. May you be at home with the Lord, Amen. for the Lord is already at home in you. And by the way, if you have one of those, as for me and my house, cross-stitched plaques at home, um, don't throw it away. Don't throw it away. Keep it. Keep it. Just remember who's talking. Jesus is talking, and you are his house. Amen?